Hey everybody, Chris Van Garrett with Van Garrett Media, the producer of the Hashtag Share Your Hottest podcast with Leader Green. Last week, we did a part one of a two-part series where I interview Lita. Last week, we got into some really interesting things with respect to her past, uh, how she found her relationship with her creator, and how she found her own personal spirituality through a, a very tumultuous set of circumstances. And this episode, we get into some really fun stuff. We talk about uh, what Lita's doing right now, what her, you know, how she met her husband, and really where she's going in the future. What does the future hold for hotness? Well, you're going to find out. This is part two of my interview with Lita Green on the hashtag Share Your Hotness podcast. Please to enjoy. This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. So let's kind of go a little bit further ahead. You you grew up, you were still a trucker's daughter, I imagine, all the way through high school, right? Yep, yep. My, my parents yep. did not disown me. Yep, they kept me. Understood. <laughs> Despite the fact that you, you had... Looked like you just moved a tire and you were a ragamuffin and they still loved you. No, I'm joking. I didn't have all my front <laughs> teeth and I'm their favorite daughter named Lita. So I I would I would I would I wouldn't doubt that you are their favorite daughter, period, but then again I'm biased. Um <laughs> have you never met any of your siblings? Okay, <laughs> you I know. I am uh, pretty good at that. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you, uh, we, we called it this in my family because we you know, we had part of the family who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, others that were not. So we kind of had this common language that we would all use around certain concepts to to, to soften each other. And one of the things we referred to, uh, to referred to missions is religiously affiliated vacations. So when did you take your religiously affiliated vacation? <laughs> um, so I was actually living in um, Alaska. And I was in love with a boy. Okay, hold on, okay, hold wait. on, hold on. Sorry, okay. How the heck did you get to Alaska? Because that, I left, I, I have remiss in my interviewing dudes. I'm sorry, how do we get from Utah to Alaska? Tell me that story. Well, that actually does go back to being a trucker's daughter. Travel mm -hmm. is not scary. Meeting new people, remember, we're all God's kids, not scary, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I knew that there were bad people everywhere. I met them, <laughs> you know, but... Um, I did not have this fear of the unknown, meaning new places. So I had read a lot of Jack London. And I don't know exactly why reading Jack London, where everybody dies by wolf or starvation or freezing, was so alluring to me, but I had to go to the last frontier. So I actually went up there, had a job arranged a week before I was going to be on a plane, which of course, this is back in the day, and even still, where you organize your flights way in advance and so a week before I already had a flight and my job said they were not going to honor the contract and Ooh. so I went anyway with 50 bucks in my pocket and the address to the hostel and this is before the worldwide internet right so I had sent out a bunch of job applications mailing them and faxing them because we did have that technology and That's a fax I'm joking <laughs> <clears throat> we don't have the time and was waiting for 
somebody to reply to my home address in Utah that yes, they would like to hire me because that's how it would work then. Anyway, and then when I got to the Anchorage, Alaska airport, I looked up the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and started calling mm-hmm. different people and different connections ended up leading to me staying with, uh, you know, church connections led me to staying with a family in Alaska. And so I did not have to sleep in a hostel and um, see what homelessness was like in Alaska. And I paid my rent by cleaning houses for that, cleaning their house. And I got room mm-hmm. and board and then got a job. And anyway, so to answer your question, I had been in Alaska, loving it. As they say in Alaska, the odds are good. The goods are odd, but the odds are good. And being a little bit of a meaty girl, I was the hot ticket in Alaska. I was a hot chicky babe in Alaska because I looked like I could carry my own backpack. So, and I could. And so I was very popular with the men and I was really enjoying. And there's about 10 girls. 10 guys to every one girl at least. And so I had a date every day. It was really fun. And I'm, and I fallen in love with a boy and I was wearing his ring and I was actually being sued by, um, the, the dentist that had put my braces on the orthodontist, my parents had not paid for that bill. And so I was being sued by them. And then my roommate, we had been in a car accident. I ended up being her fault, but she was suing me. My roommates had also not paid a phone bill. So I was being sued and I had had my little brother come up to Alaska and I technically was being in trouble for kidnapping. Um, and my, so yeah, Mm. so I had a little bit of opposition happening, but I was in love with a boy Mm -hmm. and I went out on tourniquet arm of, um, outside of Anchorage and this is a beautiful, beautiful place. And I'm like, okay, God, I got a lot of problems right now. So, and I've been saving money to be able to go to college and my parents' financial situation and their tax situation made it where I didn't, couldn't get a Pell Grant or anything like that. So I have to earn money to go to school. So I'd earn, go to school, be really poor, go earn more money, go to school. So I went to school for basically four years and I have a two-year degree, (laughs) you know, because it didn't really work out well. And Anyway, so I'm like trying to figure out what the solution to these problems are. And it was just one of those moments where God was like, you're going on a mission and this is how all these things will get resolved. And my, um, I got an attorney that clarified that I was a minor when the braces were put on so I couldn't be sued and cleared up all the different things. And then my parents decided not to pursue the kidnapping charge and um, things just, you know, and everything opened up and I had to get new teeth. That was the only other obstacle is you can't go and serve a mission for your church, uh, at least for my church, without having all of your front teeth. That's required. But men in Alaska didn't care that I had missing teeth. I was still a hot number. So I broke up with the because boy. you could carry your own backpack. Because I could carry my own backpack. And so I broke up with the boy because you can't be engaged or promised or whatever um, before a mission and broke up with him, put my papers in, and I had an 11-day notice. Yeah, they, wow. they took me before my availability date. Wow. And I served um, a deaf sign language mission, which I want, you don't choose where you go on your mission. And I always told people I wanted to go stateside because I'm a great communicator. And 
God didn't, didn't seem to be really impressed with my English skills and decided that sign language is the way to go. So evidently I joke that God was not interested in what I thought I was good at. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> my other joke about so, it is God doesn't want me speaking. <laughs> it's like, she talks enough. No, I'm joking. Yeah, she's <clears throat> used too many words. <laughs> So we go from we go from the Western United States all over the place, trucker's daughter, but centralized, homed in in Provo, to being in in Anchorage, Alaska, at an incredibly young age, being sued, and also potentially kidnapping charges. Um, that all all those things resolve to go from that in, in a relationship where you're wearing uh, your significant other's ring to. All of those things get, get resolved in addition to the relationship and resolved to its conclusion to being on an ASL religiously affiliated vacation slash mission for the and church. Which of I Jesus paid Christ for myself. Saints. That which money I was for saving for college. Now, people who want to serve a mission, there is a fund there. But I felt that if I had the money, it was my job to pay. And that was money was being saved for college. But um, yeah, I paid for it myself and leaving $144 to my name. And my hand shook as I wrote the check, <laughs> but I'm very proud that I paid for it myself. I, I you should be. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, where, what, uh, what locations did you serve? Well, that's a funny story because I, you get called to the American Sign Language Mission, and uh -huh. so I was called to the American Sign Language Mission and be serving in the Portland, Oregon area. But when I met the Missionary Training Center, in, which is in Provo, Utah, like a mile from mm -hmm. where I grew up, the my teachers are like, I thought there were only elders, meaning young men in Portland. They're like, hmm. So they asked some questions and come to find out the person that was supposed to be my companion ended up going home. Something was unprecedented. And so they had no companion for me. And so they're like, well, where is she going to go? And I didn't have that answer. So everyone in the missionary training center was like, hey, where are you going? And I was like, instead of being like, well, they don't really know because so their sister went home, you know what I mean? Like answering all these awkward questions. I just said, well, I showed up on a Wednesday, I had my bags packed. I looked like a missionary. They let me stay. So they're figuring it out. Fantastic. Wow. So I ended up going to Michigan first and then Arizona because mm -hmm. the whole mission is the United States. Yeah. So. That's a, that's, 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 I mean, just the variance in weather between those two locations to, to say nothing of the culture. <laughs> the difference I actually between got Michigan. a fungus in my lungs. Yeah that made um, breathing <laughs> sound weird. I got a fungus in my lungs in Michigan that made breathing, I kind of sounded wispy, right? But that's okay, okay. I was hanging out with deaf people. And then when yeah, I was transferred to Arizona, guess what cleared up? The fungus, because it was, <laughs> it was at a record of like over 121 degrees and no fungus lives oh. in 121 degrees, even the moist environment of your lungs. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That's brutal. But by the same token, could be literally a godsend in a situation like that. That's amazing. Yeah, it worked out. I'm not having yeah. to have breathing problems. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so again, I'm thinking about the geography of this, that it's fascinating. So Provo, all over the Western United States, but Provo being the central point, Anchorage, Alaska, Michigan, Arizona. <clears throat> and so you finish out your mission and talk to me about what happens after you've served your, your mission. What happens then? Well, I ended up getting sick on my mission. Unbeknownst to me, I had something called Epstein-Barr. And um, all the doctors that like clear you for going on a mission were giving me a deal because I didn't have health insurance. So they were just taking 
kindness, like the doctor who gave me, you know, helped me get a tooth and, you know, just, you know, and the dentist that took my braces off, you know, they're just kind of giving me deals, right? Because I didn't have insurance. Mm -hmm. So no blood was taken to find out that my body does not make oxygen as well. And that's why I'm so low energy. <laughs> no. And <laughs> so I ended up getting incredibly sick, which we could literally do a whole podcast on just mm-hmm. that. So I'm just going to skip it for the sake of time, but I'm getting sick. We'll dive into that some other time. Yeah. And ended up getting sick and learning more about the nature of my God and my own mm-hmm. resilience and my purpose in life. And uh, my sister let me come live with her in Washington, D.C. So then I'm in D.C. pursuing my mm-hmm. education and, uh, you know, working as a medical interpreter for the deaf and working on a degree in sign linguistics. And we've talked, we talked a lot about your experience in D.C. I know this was very formative for you as well in a very different way. Um, I'd love to hear more about this. Tell me about what it was like being at a sign language interpreter for folks in D.C. Well, my first contract was working at a drug. So I was what they call a freelance interpreter. So I didn't work for an agency because they require a certain amount of hours. And I was doing school and secretly working on recovering from, uh, you know, this autoimmune. And it was interesting Mm -hmm. because the AIDS epidemic was still kind of a scary thing then. I mean, it's still scary, obviously, but people had a lot of misconceptions that you could shake someone's hand and get it and stupid things like that. And my doctor was actually, um, he teased me that I was his only straight patient. So, (laughs) and he was a brilliant doctor and um, he himself had AIDS and most of his patients did as well. And, but you know, he specialized in autoimmune and that was my first exposure really to the LGBT community, which it wasn't even called the LGBT community then. And which I'm really thankful for because I could never have they were never the scary other to me. Mm-hmm. I remember being, you know, hearing about AIDS and thinking that was a scary thing, but because the people around me were not like, oh, it's gay people and having sex, you know what I mean? That wasn't how it was framed. That when I learned that that could be a risk factor for AIDS, I already had friends and people that I loved in that community. And so when I would hear people later in life, you know, have these polarizing views or, um, judgmental views against people in the LGBT community. Again, before it was even called that, I would see the friends of my, the faces of my friends and be mm-hmm. like, you can't, that doesn't, that doesn't work to be like that. Mm-hmm. Which is just the mm-hmm. power of knowing other people and how important it is to know other people with different experiences than yours. And so anyway, that was my, but my first contract was working in a drug rehab, being an interpreter mm-hmm. for a court ordered, so city ordered, drug rehab. So most of the people were not in a nice facility. They were still probably homeless. And I interpreted for, for them to have, to receive, you know, this court ordered mandate to get off of drugs and to have their counseling. And there's a whole cool stories with that. And then I also worked at inner city hospitals, which again, gunshot victims, um, kids that were burned by overturning of meth equipment. Um, just you know, the most horrendous things you can think of in the city that at the time was the murder capital of the world. And I was working mm-hmm. in hospitals. And you were single at this time. As well. And I was single. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you're all by yourself for all intents and purposes. I lived with my sister and her family, paying my rent by babysitting and cleaning house and things like that. So, okay. Well, so you had, you had roommates, but uh, a roommate, if it was family, but, um, but for the most part, you are, you you are on your lonesome, just making it happen and helping people. So again, we're planting these seeds for, for those of you that don't don't know how an interview works, we're planting seeds to kind of bring everything full circle at the end. We're planting the seed of, of not being a victim and being, uh, being strong. We're now planting a seed of service, which is another incredibly strong thread running through your life that I see from, from a very early time. Um, I've never done anything like this. I, this is something that I, I, I have a lot of life experience. I have a lot of things that I could, I could compare to. This is not one of those things. I've never worked in an environment such as that, living in an environment such as that, and being able to to still serve others, I think that that is that is one of the most inspiring things about you is how how all of this ties back to helping other people. Well, and again, um, so, church. There were not very many people who looked like me at church, and there were very few married couples at church because it was serving the inner city population. And mm-hmm. I got to know on a very intimate level people with again very different life very different lifestyle than mine. You know, 30-year-old grandmothers who found the church and their 15-year-old twin granddaughters who ended up being the first in their family to be educated because they were put around people that said, you should go to college. They're like, how will I go to college? Actually, pretty easy thing for you to do. Just get good grades in high school because there's so many programs as there should be for inner city kids because of the extreme obstacles they overcome. One of the biggest for my experience of living literally in the neighborhood where dead bodies show up is that they think this is all that life is. And if we give kids, not you're a victim, but you can achieve amazing things and you deserve that very different message. And, you know, these kids would come to our church and get this message that was very different than what they were getting in their community. They didn't have to join the gang. And in fact, one young man who joined our church ended up being murdered for it, you know, just and I know these people, these are people that I know and care about. And, but it did formulate how toxic and dangerous it is to tell people that because of what you look like, if it's a trucker's kid with greasy hands or a gay individual or a black individual, that being told that you are less than is evil, period. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. Incredible. So how long were you in DC? Two and a half years. And where did you go after DC? Well, I met Mr. Green and I I did not want to leave DC. I was so in love with the DC area. I had just earned a scholarship for a program that would pay for the rest of my undergrad and to be able to go to Gallaudet, which is the deaf Harvard of the world. And very few people hearing people get in. And I had worked very hard to get this scholarship but Mr. Green had a commitment with the United States Army. So even though I had never moved anywhere in my whole entire life, <laughs> becoming an Army wife actually slowed me down. <laughs> <laughs> and so he served in the Army. What, um, what was he doing for the Army? Like, what was his core job function? What was his specialty? So he was a signal officer. So that took us to mm-hmm. Georgia. So now you see I've lived in every quadrant of the country. Almost, yep, except literally. for the Northeast. <laughs> yeah. Have you been to the southern tip of Florida yet? Because that's oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. totally While we were there, we okay. did a southern yeah. tour. So we lived in Georgia yeah. and then Oklahoma, which I would still consider the South. Um, yeah. 
And then, um, and then after the military, we went to go live in New Hampshire. So now, boom, all quadrants covered and an internship in Portland, just to make sure that I have done the Northeast, even though I'd already done it in a truck. So, so yeah. Wow. So you went, went to Georgia. How long were you in Georgia then? So only six very hot, very hot, sweaty months. <laughs> and as a new <laughs> one. And yes, I know. That's a double joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been I've been to Georgia in September and August. I understand. Um, it was the so summer the, that we were there, and yeah. as a cool. child of the West, and DC was humid, but Georgia in the summer, with very little yeah. air conditioning because we were very poor, with that bed yeah. that comes out of the the wall, you know, the, <laughs> right? the Murphy bed or whatever. Yeah, the Murphy bed, but ours was broken, so yeah. we got a thirty dollar discount. And anyway, <laughs> uh, well, you know, being very poor in the South without air conditioning. I will never be there again as with the, the dirt of my farmland between my fists ranting. Tara, uh, Tara, Tara's land. Tara. I'll never, uh, Scarlet, never go without air conditioning again. Yes, never again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I learned. <laughs> oh, yeah, six, oh boy, six months. And then, so you went from there to, okay, so again, I'm counting geography here. So Provo, Anchorage, Nine states. Uh, DC, Just yeah. You, if you count DC as a so, state, yeah. <laughs> in this case, sure, why not? And then so from from DC to Georgia to New Hampshire. Georgia, Oklahoma, and then New Oklahoma, Hampshire. DC, Georgia, Oklahoma, New Hampshire. And at what point did so? At what point did did you find your way back to the Salt Lake Valley? Well, after my husband, um, one day my husband said to me when we were George, um, Oklahoma, which we were stationed for three and a half years, which again, everywhere I've lived, I've loved the people and everywhere I've lived, there's a different sure. culture. And I had done the Utah culture. So we're in New Hampshire and um, he's applying for all these different jobs. Oh, for, I'm sorry, I'm setting it up for when in Oklahoma, he says to me mm -hmm. one day, I don't really love my job and I don't, and I love that we can't have kids. And we had had several miscarriages by that point. And yeah. I said, well, one of those we can change, the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you dream of doing? And ironically, when he had been in DC, he had met my ex-boyfriend whose roommate was studying to be a patent attorney. And when he was talking about that, Nathan was really intrigued with it. And so he looked into it and decided he wanted to become a patent attorney. And so mm -hmm. I refused to go to BYU law school, which would have been way cheaper but I didn't want to live in Utah, <laughs> you know, been there, done that, yeah, new adventures, yeah. new places to go. Um, and when he was applying for jobs and there was a hit in the economy at the time, you're applying for jobs all over the country. And he got a hit in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I had this, <laughs> oh no. Going back to Zion. <laughs> Yeah, and again, it's it really has nothing to do against Utah. It's mostly just sure. that there were individuals that lived here that I didn't want to, it, that would be complicated. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd been here. I'd done it. I knew what it was. Yeah. And there were other places to see. Yeah, sure. But this was but the, the best job offer that he received. And dang it, when we prayed about it, despite my... Ugh, it felt right. And so then I started thinking of all the reasons I was excited to live in Utah. 
Yeah, I was gonna say it's, it's it's okay to feel bad about doing something that you know to be right, but by the same token, changing and just kind of embracing this again, this nothing new, like not pooping on Utah. I don't want all my Utah friends. No, of course, like, I hate Utah, but I was ready to go anywhere. And as yeah. a military wife, I was ready to go anywhere, and yeah, I still absolutely. had that willingness to go anywhere. And sometimes I still am like, I want to live in Japan. I don't speak Japanese, but I just want to go live in all the places. You and I have that same that same feeling about myself, then um, that same desire, innate innate desire to go and do anything anywhere and just go and immerse myself in other cultures. So I I, I feel that on a, a very visceral level. And so you you've been this you've been all over the continent. Um, you've been <clears throat> you've been overseas as well at some point. I, we'll get into that in a sec. But fate but the will of your higher power just, and just the, met, the the mode of life, the inertia of your life brings you back to the, the, the state of your birth. And right. when did you return to Salt Lake City? Um, with my second child, which is a whole other mm -hmm. podcast of how I got kids, but it was hard. And I've mentioned yeah. it throughout the podcast. Uh, yeah. So Elsa was six months old when we signed the contract for this house. Oh, sweet Elsa. That's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> and she's 16 now. So I have yeah. lived in Utah a lot. <laughs> Indeed you have. Indeed yeah. you have. And, and so you come back to Utah 16 years ago and you are not yet hotness at this point. I'm no. assuming you are. No, there's, there's a different part of Lita Green that's being lived. I <laughs> put my husband through law school uh, selling makeup and skincare with a line that I still uh -huh. do. Um, that I still work with, Synagence um, International. I'm a distributor for them and mm -hmm. cleaning houses. And once my business was doing well enough, I quit the house cleaning. So again, whatever I needed to do to, to make the money I needed, that was fine. And mm -hmm. moved to Utah. My plans were to, you know, put the white picket fence up and have my 4.5 kids because that's, yeah, I'm in Utah. So that would be the expectation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. You know, didn't, didn't quite didn't quite work out that way <laughs> so so you so Elsa's six months old um she's the oldest between her and Nathaniel right yeah so Nathaniel was my sixth pregnancy mm -hmm. Elsa was my ninth got it excuse me Nathaniel okay got it um so there's also a third child that's that's uh, that's not in not with us right now and that's Caitlin is it yep. Caitlin or Caitlin it's Caitlin Caitlin thank you uh and then sorry Caitlin for getting your name incorrect um she's okay so she's tell me about <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> tell me about that that experience because i know we've covered now a lot of formative moments in your life and i know this was just as formative if not more so than the others so i'd love i'd love to hear about this tell me about Kate. well the just before that my husband got hit by the bus and <laughs> yep yep got hit by a bus <laughs> i forgot I always, about the bus story and i like to point out to people that i was not the one driving the bus when it happened and the secret to a good life is not being the cause of your heart right true because yeah. you can deal with things a lot easier if you're not like i caused this <laughs> right so not driving the bus then he had a massive heart attack died in my arms came back to life i saw my husband's if you call it his soul or spirit or his spirit come back into his body and he reanimated so again, this other witness that we are more than what we think we are. And that moment, I always say, took everything I know to be true and just stuffed it deeper into my core. 
because I'm holding my dead husband in my arms. And what I did in that moment, and interestingly, because my husband served in the military and you have to, you, they require you to get life insurance and they also give you yeah. some, the thought that your husband could die. And my husband did call me a couple of times and say, I almost died today, you know, in the military. Yeah. And he wasn't even, mm-hmm. he wasn't even in dangerous situations. Like, you know, people were shooting at him situations. Um, yeah. I would have this thought of what would I do? And of course you think, well, I would completely, I love him. I would, you know, crawl in the hole, the metaphorical ideas that you put out there of how you would handle it and come to find out I handled it. Like I would say to myself, I wanted to handle it. Yeah. You have the initial, I would do this, but then you'd be like, no, I would want to do this. And that is how I handled it. And I remember this moment at the hospital with Nathan about to go into surgery and my phone is blowing up, which this, you know, people are just like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I looked up and no. I'm like, why are you making my life so public? Why are you doing that? God, like, let's just go with, let's just go back to the quiet. Nobody knows about struggles. Like, you know, when I was being molested, it wasn't an open secret. Like my parents did not know. And that was a struggle. And, you know, the, the struggle of not being able to have children private, but now suddenly I'm the lady whose husband's been hit by a bus. Now a 35 really in great shape, because as I like to say, I require a certain level of physical fitness for my spouse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He forgot to make the same deal. And, um, why, why are things being shoved into the focus of other people? And then if that weren't, wasn't tragic enough, I ended up being in a wheelchair because I have a degenerative SI joint, which is the hip, the part that connects your hip to your back um, from the miscarriages. I'm in a wheelchair. And then we have Caitlin for 54 precious days. And then she dies. And we literally had the news media reaching out to us. And so it goes from this very quiet life that I, I was thinking was a good life. I'm having adventure. I'm happy in who I am. I love being a mom and a wife. Like I do, I'm not that woman who had to go get a career because I didn't like the life I had. I love that life. I still yearn for that life. Like during the pandemic, I was living my best life. (laughs) You know, just (laughs) my family is close and I have a full pantry. Like I was made for pandemic times. Um, and there are so many things about my daughter, but I, the best way to surmise what Caitlin brought to me is an awareness of my own power. Now, I already knew that I was not a victim. I already know that we're all God's children. I know that I have value in the eyes of God. That's called happiness. Like whatever you're, if you know your significance in the universe, that is happiness, right? You, we all humans need yeah. to feel significant. I already had that. Caitlin made me aware of my power and my ability to impact other people in a way that I had never entertained or thought about. And that I was just as responsible to that as I was the knowledge that God was real. I was, I had been given something that was called influence, even though I had not looked for it. I now had a responsibility of how I use that. Wow. So so that's your superhero origin story. 
right there. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's where you came aware of your own abilities as a true independent person in your own power was through Caitlin's death. Yeah. And how did that, can I ask, how did that, how did that manifest itself? So this awareness hits you, you know, that you have that moment where you just know, you know, it's like being in love. No one can tell you you're in love. You just know it. Through, through. I'm going to be so totally, tell me, totally vulnerable and tell you that moment. This is a, this will be the love first, I feel like it should be a drum roll. I can put a drum roll in. Hold on one sec. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Okay. All right, let's hear it. This will be the first time that I will have shared this in a public format. I've shared it with wow. people, but I've not shared it on a stage or in a book or anything like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you an out. Just I'm going to give you an out. I'm going to do Make it. Sure you're okay. I'm, I'm going right, to go in. We're, we're going. I'm going to go in. Sweet. Okay. Okay. Because I am going to share it in my third book. <laughs> so might as well. Fair. Right. Fair. Um, Fair. I am. I'm, I mentioned that I was in a wheelchair. So physically there would be what equivalently would be $70,000 of physical therapy for me to walk the way I do. And so emotionally I have buried a child and sadly the people not speaking of my sweet husband, but the people in my immediate family that I came from were not handling this well. And I was depending upon my church and friends that didn't live close, you know, cause I had friends obviously from all over the country, you know, those best friends. And I had every reason in the world to lay in my bed and, you know, shrivel and die. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I need a purpose. So I started asking God if I was to do one of two things, go back to medical interpreting, which would allow me to help people through the worst day in their life with a level of empathy that though I was an empathetic interpreter before, man, would I be so much better at it now? Or two, yeah. to open up a charity in my child's name. Hmm. And so hmm. I believe that we study things out in our mind, come up with our options, and then we bring, you know, A, B, or C to God, and then we get a warm fuzzy on A, B, or C. And so I took A, B, or C, well, A or B, in this situation to God. And uh, God said, no. And I was like, oh, really? Am I supposed to adopt? And I'm pretty sure I heard laughter from heaven because I'd asked that question <laughs> so many times. And the truth of the matter is between my husband's heart, my autoimmune and a degenerative hip, we were, we'd already been told we were not going to be eligible for these things. So just one of those things yeah. would make it difficult. And God's like, I get that that's something you want, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I got a flash, which it took me many years before I could call it what it was. It was a vision. It mm -hmm. took a long time before I could call it that of me walking mm -hmm. onto a stage, which I had never done except literally as a high school performance as a person on the back of the stage that walked back and forth, had yeah. never been on a stage with lighting never been there. And I, at some point I know that I'll walk on this stage. I can tell you the folds in the carpet, the, every sensation of the plants, everything that was on that stage. And then I can see the people because I haven't stepped into the spotlight yet, which again, I'd never experienced that phenomenon before. So they can't see me, but I can kind of see them. 
and they're looking expectant. And I realized that they are expecting me. And my initial thought was, hell no. And you know, <laughs> I don't use that word casually. Yeah, no, I do. because I knew from my family culture, not my husband, the culture we have made, but the family culture that I came from, that doing anything to call attention to yourself had always not only gotten me in trouble from my family, um, but was undesirable, like to the ingrained of who I am, I was not to be a public person. Yeah. And I'm like, no. And I felt this push of God basically saying, you know, there's a line in the scripture that says, I qualify who I call. Mm -hmm. And that scripture came to my mind and I step into the light. And so I went nice. knowing that I was now insane because I was mm -hmm. having visions of grandeur <laughs> or a new <laughs> life path would have preferred the insanity one. I had a feeling to talk to my friend, Tammy's husband, who Jason Hewlett, he's a world renowned speaker. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. And yep. Um, yep. I knew him as I knew him more as a, uh, the friend of my husband you know, the, my, the husband of my friend and seeing him as a father and he's an excellent man. And mm -hmm. I went over knowing that he would say to me, um, you scrapbook for a hobby and you're not even as good a cook as my wife. So why would you possibly think that you could pursue this profession <laughs> that I have been killing mm -hmm. myself since I was a young child making weird faces in the mirror? So you just have to look up Jason Hewlett if you don't understand those references. And uh, <laughs> Jason listened to me as I fumble over my words telling him, and I didn't give him even the full vision thing, just that I was having this feeling that I should do this. And Jason's leaning back and then he sits up and he puts his hands, three fingers, just on my upper chest and says, if God has put it in you, how dare you not? Good answer. So I started speaking. And fortunately, the first person <clears throat> to ever call, I thought they were calling for makeup for my website. And I still, I'm probably still a wrong number to this day, but they had heard that I was a good speaker. And I was like, from who? Cause I had never spoken on any stage hmm. except like in our church, which is not speaking mm -hmm. on a stage. And nope. they offered me 250 bucks to come and do a teacher appreciation day. And as I was telling them, no, the content of the speech came to my mind and I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And that was my first speech. That's fantastic. So this whole experience with Caitlin brings to the forefront, this gift that you were not aware that you had. I had no through idea. Divine, yeah. Through divine intervention, you now are different. Just a moment happens because all change, of course, happens in the span of a second, right? It's either <laughs> over or no, over. That's why I say God set me up because he was planting yeah. and putting skills. I mean, being a sign language interpreter, you have to look weird in front of people. So I had gotten yeah. accustomed to being in front of people, but never as the presenter. Yeah. So, and I could go on and on of just seeing all these different things from the stories to my personality that people always told me was too much. I was just too much, mm -hmm. but evidently being on stage, you need to be a little much. So <laughs> I need to be too much. <laughs> yeah. You need to be too much. You need to be the, a little extra. Right. And mm -hmm. all of that had just set it up to now I just put the work in and the content was there. 
I already knew the formula mm-hmm. of resiliency. I already knew the formula of confidence because I'd gone from being self-loathing to self-loving. And mm-hmm. people started calling me hotness because my first book, mm-hmm. actually before that, I just, I, if I'm hot, I'm hot. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, Indeed, yes. In fact, in naming mm-hmm. my first book, my friend kept saying, I don't know hotness, what would you call it? Because I'm telling her it's about the content of confidence and everything. And she's like, I don't know hotness, what would you call a book on how to become a happy, hot, hot, hot person? How, what would you do that? And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. And she's like, hotness, hotness. <laughs> Neon sign. Right. I'm like, oh, this is why we need accountability partners in life, right? Because it was like right there. But I just didn't know what to call it. But that original book was actually meant to be the book about Caitlin that I'm working on now. But I couldn't just tell the story without how you become. Yeah, without laying the groundwork first. And so I know this is a dicey question between you and your publisher and God, for that matter. But when can we expect that book to be available for those of us that are eager to read it? That is a really excellent question. (laughs) Should we say say it's on the roadmap, perhaps? It is... I, oh, you're making me out myself twice, you know, I would like to have raw content done, meaning get it to my editor and the publisher that's foaming at the mouth (laughs) for it (laughs) Mm -hmm. in April of 20, you know, 2022. So, yeah, yeah. you're you're, th- you're throwing the gauntlet down here. Right? Yeah. This is incredible. Yeah. I have been writing this book for, yeah. and April 1st, because it's Caitlin's birthday, not an April Fool's joke, just in case everyone's like, wait a minute, that's a little sly joke. Um, that is yeah. my daughter's birthday, Caitlin. Uh, yeah. I've been writing this book for her whole life. Yeah. You know, it's called journals. Absolutely. Obviously, I will not be publishing mm-hmm. my journal, but the content is all there. And I know there's just a few loose ends of the story art for certain people that I need to tie up really to, to punch the story. And how long has Caitlin been gone? She will be 13 um, when I'm saying this. So she is, she's 12 years old. She'll be 13 to 12 years old. I got it. Yeah. So she's, so for 12 years, you've been writing this third book that is about this subject matter that we're covering now and about the death of your daughter and how you transitioned from being Lita Green to being Lita, AKA hotness. Well, and even more so we're, we're, it's how traditional grief modules hold us in a place of being stuck and that we mm-hmm. have to make certain decisions because there are yep. some grief that never end. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe as a religious person that, you know, I will hold my daughter again, but that's not quite enough for right now. So how do I make my life good now? And um, that I have, you know, I came up with a hypothesis of how to go forward and it has served me well and I'm not very crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You have just enough. You have, you have enough to be the light, you know, I think. Just enough crazy to keep people on their toes. (laughs) Precisely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm quite serious when I say the spark of insanity is a gift from the universe, from God, whatever you want to call it. And those of us that <clears throat> those of us that are, are that learn how to harness this sort of thing, we we tend to live life in a way that other people go, "Wow, they're really lucky," or "Wow, they accomplished X, Y, or Z." When when really a lot of it is just an internal struggle to 
to harness one's own greater power, right? To realize one's own ability based on the gifts or based on the experiences we've had. And I, again, running the threads from your past to this current day, I can see these silver, these silver spread threads like spider silk running from that little girl in truck truck stops all over the Western United States to being that person on that stage. So I, I, I see that thread and it's just amazing to, amazing to, to be a part of to just witness. So um, talk to me about then. So we, we now we're kind of getting, uh, we're going into the future here. So now let's go ahead and go with this. So you, you put a, you put a date out there, Lita, of when you want to have the, the raw content to your publisher. Now, as your podcast editor, I'm going to give you an out and say, would you like me to edit that? <laughs> well, I'll have to have a really good reason if I don't meet it, right? But I do stand by accountability and that is the date I've been toying with. So I guess I'll have to structure up my writing days better so that I don't disappoint <laughs> everyone. <laughs> well, we've, we've, we've just sounded the gong. All right, yes. perfect. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> so the book being one of those things, let's talk about the future for Lita Green and the, top, the future for the Green family. So the, the, um, the book being one of those things, uh, the podcast, of course, the way that we're growing, uh, the, your your presence and, and your speaking career, making all of this kind of rise, make the whole sea rise, the ships rise. Talk to me about like what's the model for the next five to ten years. I, I want to know. So we we have this amazing origin story of you, and now you're just at a point in your career and your life where you are really taking flight. I mean, your best days are ahead of you; they are not behind you. So tell me about what the, what that journey to best days looks like. Well, I, it's funny because you say your, my best days are behind me. Part of me in 2020 was like, no, oh, no, 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 your, your best, your best days are in front of you, not behind right, you. Okay. So my, my best yeah. days, when you say, oh, your best days are in front of you. Part of me is like, oh, I don't know. In 2020, I was like, I've done the travel around the world and the crazy busy speaking schedule. And I've done that. But then we go back to that I know I'm accountable for how I use my gift. And I don't have this ambition of being, I don't love speaking to audiences of so many people that I can't see the people. I love, if there's the light, I literally <laughs> have accidentally fallen off stage and I would like to say on my feet, trying to avoid that spotlight where I can't see people, but they can still see me. And applause yeah. is not something that motivates me. Um, having people think I'm awesome is not really a motivating factor for me. I know I'm awesome. I don't need your validation. This <laughs> kind of how it <laughs> lives. But I know that yeah. I have this gift and I know that my story and more importantly, not just, oh, yay, Lita, but the principles that I'm teaching with the punch of this works even if you're facing death of your loved mm -hmm. one. Uh, mm -hmm inspires and helps people and getting messages from people that the content of my books, the content of the speech has literally changed the direction of their life is the most humbling and huge honor that I never anticipated parallel with mm -hmm. bringing children into the world, right? Just yeah. this awe-inspiring, like, wow, now you get to go do something. <clears throat> so I know that I yeah. have been set up. So I enjoy speaking to audiences that are you know, women, entrepreneurial groups, people that are having a hard time overcoming uh, an excuse or difficulty or something like that. So that helps me for the entrepreneurial conferences to grieving conferences. Um, corporate have hired me a lot. 
And I don't have like the specific number in my mind of what my career looks like after 2020, but I know mm -hmm. that I have no intention to retire. I have no intention to stop doing what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. I've only got a couple of years left with my kids. Only yeah, yeah. a couple of months left with my son before he leaves for <laughs> his, um, what did you call it? Um, the religiously affiliated vacation, religiously affiliated vacation, <laughs> you know, uh, which is a two year deal. And so mm -hmm, I yeah. got to get this book done. And, uh, you know, I, in some ways I have this, I'll let God show me and I just do the work. So when I know what work I'm supposed to do, I go do it. But I don't have this ambition of being the most sought after speaker in the world at all. Mm -hmm. I see what that looks like. And I like being home with my yeah, people yeah. more than living in airports. Yeah. I've traveled for business. So I know that life of living in, in airports. I did it for about four years, <clears throat> not necessarily to the same level you did, but in to a degree. And so I, I, I empathize deeply with the desire to want to be with the people you love, as opposed to running all over Denver International or Atlanta Hartfield Jackson Airport and you know, you eating like Chick-fil-A again. and Two yeah. huge airports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can find my way around blind. <laughs> oh, God, no, no. Oh man, you're a much braver human than I am. For no, that I time. actually don't fly with heels. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> oh good. Whew. But I see women doing say, it, and I'm like, she's tougher than I am. <laughs> yeah, I see women doing most things and say she's tougher than I am. So believe me, I understand. <laughs> so we have this beautiful story of this this little girl who, at a moment in her life when she should have been afraid and ready to give up, chose not to be. A moment in her life when she could have just simply acquiesced to her fate, chose not to. And through divine intervention, through will, through ability, through a whole host of other aspects of you that we don't even have words for yet because we're not evolved enough to really have them. You have become this, you're like a, a very slowly opening flower and you're becoming more and more capable, more and more real, more and more true, more and more beautiful, and more and more person of service as time goes on. So this, this is the reason why we chose to work with you. Because in those first moments when we met you, we could see it. We, we could see that this was not your average bear. This was not a person necessarily who was just a, a fame whore or a person who was out to get likes on Instagram. This was a person with a real message and a real interest in helping other people. And that is the whole theme of the Share Your Hotness podcast, really, is telling stories of humanity to show that we're all the same. As you say, we're all God's children, right? And to show that we really have more in common than otherwise. And the opportunity to be your producer, the opportunity to work with you is one of the greatest pleasures of my professional and personal career. And so I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to, to get to do this with you. It's a really a great thing. Well, Part of me is embarrassed and the other part of me is honored with all of the, that eloquent praise. And I couldn't have a better team than people who believe in not just moving my mission forward, but moving my purpose forward. So thank you, Chris. Well, 
It's a pleasure. It's, it's a pleasure and a privilege on our side. So the, the way that you wrap up every episode of the podcast is you ask your guests three questions. I'm going to ask you those three questions. We have pretty much covered everything in these three questions, but I think this is a good way to kind of put a little bow on everything. Uh, I, I, so I, I'll just go ahead and ask. So you like to ask your guests, what is your fuel? What is your oxygen? And what is your heat? Because all of these things comprise hotness, right? So right. talk to me about after everything we've discussed, talk to me about what part of everything we've talked about is your fuel, Lita. So that would be, you know, every human being needs, like we said, significance. And so I always talk about the question is, is where do you turn for significance? And if you're turning to something that is outside of you, that you're not in control of, then you're chasing insecurity, right? But if it's something within you, and this for me is that I am a daughter of God. This does not make me better than or less than anyone else, but that knowledge that I am a daughter of God, that means I have a purpose. That means I have a thing with this day that I have been given because I know all too well that you can be minding your own business and get hit by a bus, you know, and religious circles, people will say, what about the second coming? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Your second coming could be tomorrow, right? That each day is a gift. And I wake up with gratitude that I can walk, that I can breathe, that I can have joy because I made each of those things happen. I love that. That's your fuel. Okay. That's what, that's what lights you up. Question number two, what is your oxygen? What feeds that? Well, that's easy. That is those simple things you do every day that make or break you. That's true with life. The tagline of my business is spend enough time on your morning, spend enough time on yourself the morning to forget about yourself the rest of the day. So that might be a meditation exercise for me. That is prayer and surrounding myself with good content. Beautiful. Beautiful. And last but not least, what is your heat? What is that unique talent that makes you, you, I think I know the answer to this. I think the audience does too, but I want to hear you say it. I wanted it to be being a mom with lots of kids. And I know you love it when I cry. (laughs) So (laughs) I cried nearly twice in this one. That's what I wanted it to be. And it took me a long time to realize that it is to help people realize that they too have unique blessings and gifts. And that is what I was made for. And if I had five kids, I could not do what I do. And so despite my best efforts, I have two amazing children that make me look great. And that (laughs) frees up my time to serve and love other people. Lita Green, you are a a human who has experienced great loss, a human who has experienced great joy and accomplishment. You have stomped on the terra, as they say. You have left no stone unturned. And I still believe that your best days truly are ahead of you. And uh, my, I'll just simply close by saying it's a privilege to witness your greatness, my friend. Thank you. Well, thank you for believing in me and seeing that and creating that first opportunity for me to get to know you. That's the power of networking and dare I say, how we share our hotness is being willing and open to meeting other people and going beyond what we see and asking questions. And so thank you for being a a hottie there, Chris. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you too. And thank you to Cubbies. That that was the place where we had our first lunch in South Georgia. Potato fries. the potato friend. They're going to get a little bit of free free um, uh, advertising on this podcast. Cubbies, the, the sweet potato fries. I don't eat sweet potato fries. They're amazing. 
And that was where our relationship was forged. It was over sweet potato fries. So. Right there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lita. Thank you for having me on as your guest today. <laughs> The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.